Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, well, today... I have a story for you, another Nanny Piggins one. It's A Thousand and One Arabian Cakes, as told by Nanny Piggins. Michael was not a happy boy when he got off the bus after school. What's wrong with you? asked Nanny Piggins. Did the wind change direction when you were thinking about Brussels sprouts, and now your facial expression is permanently stuck that way? I know that's the way my face looks when I think about vegetables, which is why I try never to walk past a greengrocer on a windy day. Oh, he's upset because he got in trouble at school, said Samantha, sympathetically. No, said Nanny Piggins. Do you need me to go down there and give the headmaster a piece of my mind? Because you know I quite enjoy doing that, so it'd be no trouble at all. Oh, you better not, said Derek. The headmaster got a panic button installed in his office after the last time you gave him a piece of your mind about the brutality of cross-country running. Yes, agreed Nanny Piggins. All I was suggesting was that if there was an ice cream van parked at the finish line, the children would run much more quickly because they'd actually want to get there. If you had an ice cream van at the start line as well, they would be properly fueled. Really, the most sensible thing to do would be to park ice cream vans at one kilometre intervals around the entire course. If he'd stayed longer for me to explain, he would have realised that my suggestions were deeply sensible and would have led to happier children and improved running results. But no, the headmaster leapt out of the window and ran away from me, ironically showing impressive foot speed for a 47-year-old man. Well, it's nothing like that, said Michael. I got in trouble for arguing with a teacher. How can you get in trouble for arguing, asked Nanny Piggins. I thought schools liked arguing. They call it debating, apply lots of rules and suck all the fun out of it. I don't think teachers like it when you argue with them, said Derek. Well, what did you argue about, asked Nanny Piggins. Well, my teacher said he was going to teach us about the greatest storyteller of all time, said Michael. And I thought that he meant we were going to have a lesson about you. I was expecting you to come and give us all a slice of cake and tell us a story. But no, he said the greatest storyteller of all time was someone called Scheherazade. Oh, said Nanny Piggins. It is lovely of you to champion my cause, but in your teacher's defence, and you know I don't normally defend teachers, but I can see why he might think that Scheherazade was so good. You can, said Michael. Yes, said Nanny Piggins, because you see, Scheherazade was a distant relative of mine. She was, said Michael. Of course, said Nanny Piggins. Scheherazade was so brilliant and so beautiful, she tricked a king into not killing 1,001 women. So, of course, she was a Piggins. So, you're saying that Scheherazade, the famous storyteller from the 1,001 Arabian Nights, was a pig? asked Derek. Yes, that's what I said. She was brilliant and beautiful, said Nanny Piggins. Do try and listen. Sorry, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. 
But I thought they didn't have pigs in the Middle East, said Michael. No, they don't eat pigs in the Middle East, said Nanny Piggins, which is one of the many reasons that theirs is such a wonderful society. So how did Scheherazade come to trick the king, asked Samantha. Oh, if I'm going to tell you that story properly, said Nanny Piggins, I'd better whip up a Persian love cake with cardamom, rose water and almond so we can have the appropriate snack food while you listen. Once Nanny Piggins had baked this delicious aromatic cake, they all settled around on the sofa so she could tell the children and Boris the tale of her distant relative. A long time ago, in the ancient Persian story days, there was a great king. He was so great, in fact, that he was the king of all the other kings. He ruled all the land from India to Persia, and his name was King Sharia. And he was married to a beautiful queen, and he worked hard to be a good king. And everything was going along splendidly. At least that's what he thought. But no matter how good you are at being a king, there is always someone who is unhappy. Usually quite a lot of people who are unhappy, if for no other reason than they are jealous of just how well everything is going for you. Because it is a sorry fact of human nature that everyone always looks at a successful person and thinks they could do a better job than them. So the king thought everything was great, but it wasn't really. That's the other thing about being a king. People are always reluctant to tell you that things aren't tickety-boo, especially in the ancient story days when kings had the power to chop people's heads off. When you have the power to chop everyone's heads off, it's amazing how agreeable people go out of their way to be. But how could he be a good king if he was cutting people's heads off, asked Michael. That sounds bad. Well, you see, if you are going around cutting people's heads off, said Nanny Piggins, then everyone is going to tell you that that's a super fantastic thing to do simply because they like their head attached to their body. I guess that makes sense, said Michael. So anyway, the king thought everything was going perfectly, so he decided to take a day off and go hunting, said Nanny Piggins. What, because he didn't get to kill enough things at his palace, asked Samantha? We mustn't judge him by our modern standards, said Nanny Piggins. A king has to eat, and Uber Eats had not been invented yet. So in the ancient story days, hunting was a necessity. Also, galloping around the countryside on horseback was fun, so the king was looking forward to doing it. Unfortunately, he'd only gone a short distance from the castle when the king realised he'd forgotten something important, said Nanny Piggins. What had he forgotten, asked Michael. I'm not sure, said Nanny Piggins. It must have been something very important because he went back for it. He was hunting in the desert, so perhaps he went back for a sun hat or a water bottle or some lip balm. Desert winds can chap your lips dreadfully if you don't moisturise properly. So he told his hunting party to wait for him while he nipped back to the palace for the lip balm. He promised to be as quick as he could. The king galloped back, hurried in the back door, nipped up the servant's stairs to his royal suite, but as he drew close to the room, he heard voices. He heard his wife, the queen, plotting with his chief advisor. If you cut his head off, said the queen, I'll pretend to be really sad for a couple of weeks. Then I'll marry you and you'll become king and we can rule the whole kingdom together. Did she really say mwahaha, asked Derek. I'm afraid so. She was quite the cliché, said Nanny Piggins. The king was really cross about this. He burst into the room, denounced them both for their treachery and chopped their heads off. That's terrible, said Samantha. Gosh, it must have made a lot of mess in his bedroom, said Michael. Yes, I know, said Nanny Piggins, but he was the king, so I doubt he had to clean the mess up himself. After that day, the king was a changed man. He realised that no one really liked him. They were just being nice to him because he was the king, which meant that he couldn't trust anyone, no matter what they might say. So he vowed he would never trust a woman again. In fact, he came up with a cunning plan. From that day forth, every day he would marry a new woman. Then the next morning he'd chop her head off and get married again to someone else that afternoon. 
That is a really horrible plan, said Derek. Yes, but no one was going to point that out to a sword-wielding king in the middle of a temper tantrum. So it fell to his new chief advisor the task of finding him his next wife. This story is awful, said Samantha. Yes, I know, said Nanny Piggins. Stories often are. But please do remember, Nanny Piggins squeezed Samantha's hand comfortingly, all this took place in the ancient fictional past, so you don't have to worry too much about the people involved. Samantha nodded. She didn't really understand, but she would try to. So, continued Nanny Piggins, the king ordered his chief advisor, or vizier, as he was called in the ancient Persian story days, to find him a new wife. The vizier went home from work that day feeling very unhappy. The following day, he would have to find a young woman to marry the king, and the day after that, he would be the one who would have to chop her head off. Being vizier to the king of kings was not a fun job. Now, it just so happened that this vizier had two daughters himself, and that the eldest one's name was Scheherazade. When her father came in and explained his awful dilemma, Scheherazade said she knew the solution. He must present her as a wife to the king. The vizier wouldn't hear of it. He didn't want to lose his precious daughter, especially as he would be the one who'd have to cut her head off himself. But Scheherazade was brave and determined. Never fear, father, for no one will be decapitating me. But we cannot defy the king, worried the vizier. Of course not, agreed Scheherazade, but we can perhaps trick him just a little bit. I will get my sister to help. I don't want to help, protested the younger sister. I don't want to have anything to do with a king who wants to cut girls' heads off. She was a deeply sensible girl, explained Nanny Piggins. It's all right, said Scheherazade. No harm will come to you. All I request is that on my wedding night, you come and knock on the door of the royal suite. I will answer the door and give you a slice of cake. Then you will go away and eat it. I shall take care of the rest. Will it be a slice of cake made by you? asked the sister. Of course, said Scheherazade. Then I'll do it, said the sister. She knew her sister was brilliant at baking, so it was worth risking having her head sliced off for the chance of eating a slice of her cake. Now those arrangements had been made. The next morning, the vizier took his beautiful, clever daughter Scheherazade to the king and offered her up to marry him. The king was impressed. Scheherazade was a piggins, so she was, of course, staggeringly beautiful and magnetically charismatic. He would have been a fool to refuse, and he was not a fool. Well, actually, he was, but not that foolish. The king and Scheherazade were married that afternoon. That night, they retired to their bedchamber, and they were just settling down to bed when there was a knock at the door. Who could that be? asked the king. Oh, that's just my little sister, said Scheherazade. She can never sleep at night until I've given her a slice of cake. I made one earlier. You won't mind if I give her a slice quickly, will you? This seemed like an odd request, but the king was planning to cut Scheherazade's head off the next day, so he didn't want her to think he was a total ogre, and he agreed. Oh, I suppose not, he said begrudgingly. Thank you, husband, said Scheherazade, with which she reached under the bed and pulled out a box. When she took off the lid, the most amazing smell wafted out into the room. The smell of sugar, butter, more sugar, more butter, and chocolate. What on earth is that wonderful smell? asked the king. What, this? asked Scheherazade. Oh, this is just my Octochoc chocolate cake, made with eight different types of chocolate. Chocolate frosting, chocolate sprinkles, chocolate cream filling, chocolate chips, chocolate sauce, chocolate ice cream, chocolate reinforcement logs, and a block of chocolate on the top and bottom. The king was agog. You have to understand that solid chocolate was not invented by humans until 1847, and ice was not common in the deserts of Persia. This one cake incorporated so many deliciousness technologies that were prior to this point unknown to man and secrets closely guarded by the pig community. As such, the cake 
blew his mind. Not literally, because even pigs didn't have access to gunpowder, but his mind could not cope with comprehending the wonder of the cake before him. Before the king could speak, Scheherazade hopped up from the bed and hurried over to the door with the cake. Hello, my dear sister. Have you come for your nightly slice of cake? asked Scheherazade at Piggins. Um, yes, said the sister. Good, here you go, said Scheherazade. She deftly cut her sister a generous slice and closed the door, then went back to the box and started putting the cake away. What are you doing, demanded the king. Just putting away the cake so we can go to bed, said Scheherazade. I want to get a good night's sleep if I'm going to have my head chopped off tomorrow. Oh, there's no rush, said the king. Um, uh, perhaps uh, I could try a slice of that cake. You, said Scheherazade. Oh, no, you're just being polite. I know you don't want a slice. Look at you. You're an elite athlete with all your rippling muscles and swarthy good looks. You don't want to eat something with so many calories. Oh, yes, I do, said the king. I mean... In the interest of open-mindedness, I would like to try a small bite. Oh, all right, that's very sweet of you to say, said Scheherazade. I'll give you a slice, but don't feel you have to eat it. If it's utterly revolting, just spit it out on the floor. I won't mind at all. So Scheherazade cut the king a slice, put it on a solid gold plate, because kings only eat off the very finest, handed him a cake fork, and sat back while he tried it. As soon as the cake touched the king's taste buds, his brain was overwhelmed with joy. It was the most delicious cake ever made in all history until that point. The chocolate sponge was perfectly spongy. The cream was perfectly creamy. The sprinkles perfectly sprinkly. It was divine. The king loved every morsel. Mmm, 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 said the king. You like it, asked Scheherazade. The king wanted to say yes, oh yes, that was spectacular, delicious, joyous and rewarding. But only one word could emerge from his lips. More, he begged. You'd like another slice, asked Scheherazade. Oh yes, please, pretty, please, 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 said the king. And since he had asked so nicely, Scheherazade cut him another slice. The king soon gobbled that up too. So Scheherazade cut him another and another. Soon the whole cake was gone. Oh, that was magnificent, said the king. The most wonderful thing I have ever eaten. Really, said Scheherazade. Well, that is a shame. What's a shame, asked the king. Well, if you liked my octo-choc chocolate cake, you'd adore my sticky date cake with extra stickiness, said Scheherazade. I would, asked the king. Oh, yes, said Scheherazade. The trick is to use so much sugar, it sucks all the moisture out of your tongue when you eat it. So all the taste from the cake floods directly into your taste buds. Oh, that sounds wonderful, said the king, starting to feel hungry again. But sadly, you'll never get to try it, said Scheherazade, as she snuggled down under her doona. Because I'm being executed in the morning. Nighty-night! Wait a second, said the king. If I uh, postpone the execution by just one day, would you make me this cake? Of course, said Scheherazade. You're my husband. I'd love to make you a cake. So the following day, Scheherazade was not executed. The king went about his kingly duties, and that night they retired to the royal suite. Scheherazade climbed into bed and snuggled down under the covers. Nighty-night, it's been lovely being married to you today, but don't feel you have to get up early to witness my execution. Wait a minute, said the king. What about my cake? What cake? asked Scheherazade. You promised to make me a sticky date cake with extra stickiness, said the king. Oh, yes, so I did, said Scheherazade. Do you still want that? Yes, of course, said the king. Oh, okay, then I'll just nip downstairs and whip one up for you. So Scheherazade bustled down to the kitchen. The king could hear her banging about with pots and pans and mixing bowls. A couple of hours later, she re-entered with a piping hot sticky date cake with extra sticky sauce. The king didn't even bother cutting a slice or putting it on a plate. He just fell on the cake and shoveled it straight into his mouth with his hands. Mm, 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 mm. 
said the king. Oh, you like it, said Scheherazade. Oh, it's fabulous, said the king. The things you do with butter and sugar, it's just magical. That's lovely of you to say, although it is a bit sad, said Scheherazade, because if you like that one, you'd really like my lemon drizzle cake. But never mind, I'd better go to sleep, so I look my best for my execution tomorrow. Nighty-night! Oh, wait a second, said the king. What's this lemon drizzle cake you speak of? Oh, it's just a lemon sponge cake topped with sour lemon sauce that soaks right down into the cake, making it deliciously moist but also tangy and sour. Then it's covered with a hard lemon icing for crunchy texture on top and an extra sweetness hit. Oh, said the king as he imagined this drool was spilling out of his mouth. That does sound good. Perhaps we could put off your execution just one more day so you could make this cake for me. Well, if you're sure, said Scheherazade, I know you're a busy king. I'd hate to mess up your schedule with another postponement. If you're sure you'll be able to squeeze in executing me the following day. Oh, yes, I'm sure we can make it work, said the king. And so they continued. Every day, Scheherazade would make the king a cake. Every night, Scheherazade would promise to make him one just as good the following day. And every morning, the king would postpone her execution one more day. Now, a normal, brilliant pastry chef would have run out of recipes after just a few months. But not Scheherazade, because she was a piggins. She kept it up, one magnificent cake after another, for 1,001 nights. But didn't eating all that cake make the king morbidly obese, asked Michael. No, actually, it didn't, said Nanny Piggins. Eating all that cake super energised him, and he became a much better king. He was able to focus better in meetings and have more energy for walking around, looking at things, or whatever it is that kings do. People started to actually really like him because of his clear, sharp intelligence and boundless energy for hard work. And so, on the 1001st night, when Scheherazade made him a spectacular coconut cream cake and the king hastily shoved it into his mouth, the king looked up and saw into Scheherazade's eyes and realised he had fallen in love with her. Oh, said Samantha. He also realised she was much cleverer than him and much, much more powerful because he only ruled a mighty empire where she commanded the forces of cake baking. The fact that he was married to her made him the luckiest man alive. I don't want to chop your head off, said the king. I know, said Scheherazade. My breathtaking beauty often has that effect on men, especially when I combine it with the beauty of my cake. Can you forgive me for my foolishness? asked the king. Of course, said Scheherazade. It would be foolish to be cross with someone for being foolish, and I am not foolish. And so they lived happily ever after the end time for bed, said Nanny Piggins. But it's only four o'clock in the afternoon, Derek reminded her. Oh, so it is, said Nanny Piggins, checking the clock. Then it's time for a little pre-dinner snack. All this talk of cake has made me hungry. Who'd like a chocolate mud cake? But that's not the Scheherazade my teacher told us about, said Michael. He told us Scheherazade won her husband over by telling him stories every night. Stories so good, he always wanted to hear the end the next day. And that's why he didn't chop her head off. Oh, yes, well, she did that too, said Nanny Piggins. She told him a story while he ate the cake. And stories always do seem extra especially good when the right snack is involved. The end. (laughs) 
Well, that was a fun one to do because I hadn't, obviously, I hadn't done any stories from the uh, uh, stories of the Arabian Nights. It's a famous collection of stories called A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. And you probably, well, you, you would have heard of the story of Aladdin because there's a Disney movie about it. But there's a, a lot of stories, short stories and longer stories in that book uh, that are told by Scheherazade. And so it was really fun to be reading them the last few weeks as research for this episode, because in the process of doing this podcast over the last nearly three years, I've learned so much because obviously I've had to read a lot of Grimm's fairy tales, which are from Germany or the German-speaking parts of Europe, and I've had to read a lot of Hans Christian Andersen tales, which are from Scandinavia, and then a lot of fairy tales are influenced by uh, from French culture, the um, things like Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast, and then there's the I've been doing the uh, the fairy tales from the ancient Celtic culture with King Arthur and uh, the, obviously the ancient Greek history stories that I've, I've been telling. So it's nice to now fill it in with stories from further towards the east, from the Persian ancient story times. Um, and a lot of those stories actually, they then come and are influenced by Indian stories because the trade routes in the old days uh, people would trade goods from India and China and they would come through the Middle East to Europe. So a lot of the stories in the 1001 Arabian Nights, well, some of them, well, some of them at least, obviously a lot of them come from Persia, but a lot of them are influenced by stories from India and even further east. So it's been really fun to learn these stories and read them and learn about the ancient history of the world and the world of storytelling and how they all link together. It's amazing when you look into it, things like stories, which is just one person telling something with the sound of their voice to another person, how these stories managed to travel the world way before the internet or telephones or television or any of these technologies. These stories travelled thousands of kilometres all around the world just through the power of human voice and the curiosity of people to sit down and listen to them and the magic of the way people just are so engaged by stories in every culture and in every language. So it's been really fun and interesting for me to... um be constantly learning this through this podcast. All right, so I hope it's interesting for you too. Now, what other news do I have to tell you about? Well, my uh, my publisher emailed me this week. I was expecting to have to go in and record the pickups for the audiobook of Nanny Piggins 3, Nanny Piggins and the Runaway Lion, but I don't have to do them because apparently I got it right the first time, which is really amazing and hard to believe because there are so many accents in that book. I had to learn how to do a Russian accent and you will probably have realized that I have never done a Russian accent for Boris, even though he really should have a Russian accent. But for the audiobook, I had to do a Russian accent for some other ballet dancers who are from Russia. So I did like watch some videos online and try and learn how to do a Russian accent. And it was really hard. It's the hardest accents I've ever had to do. So um, I was convinced I would have to go in and do lots and lots of pickups for the audiobook record to fix up all the mistakes. But apparently there were none. So um, that audiobook is on track to come out before Christmas. Uh, hopefully next week I'll be able to give you the exact date that it'll be available on Audible and all the other places you can download audiobooks. And of course, it is late November, which means Christmas is just around the corner. So I will be doing some Christmas stories soon. I'll probably be replaying the Christmas stories I recorded last year and the year before because there were some crackers there. And it's always good to retell stories at Christmas time, especially when I need a couple of weeks off holiday. <laughs> that would be very cool. I- I've always been meaning to try and write a Hanukkah episode too. I promised some of my friends in America that I would do that. So hopefully I'll get around to that this holidays as well. Okay, well, that is definitely it for now. So until next time, goodbye.